Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us on East Meets West, the show where Rob and I compare the view of contemporary Canadiana from our adopted homes in Ottawa and Calgary. Hey, Rob. <laughs> How you hey, doing? how's it going? I scripted that one. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Much more cohesive. It wasn't just like, um, hi, uh, this is a show, and um, East Meets West. Uh <laughs> You also didn't do the thing where you said it is March 8th, 2015. I think that's a Sunday. This is East meets West. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I didn't do that. Although it is Sunday, March 8th, 2015. It is. Yeah. I've talked about the date several times today with other people. Have you now? Yeah. Why might that be? Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It just but like it came up. comes up. Yeah. Came up completely organically. Uh, before we get into the show, I will say that today's episode is brought to you in part by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind. And they have over 150,000 titles to choose from uh, that you can listen to on your iPhone, Android or tablet. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good old Canadian kid that you can find on audible.com is uh, Farley Mowat. And oh, yeah? Yeah, my cousin grew up reading Farley Mowat. He really enjoyed it. I haven't read much of it myself, I guess. But uh, I think it was one of his favorite stories from Farley Mowat was from... I think it was from the book Never Cry Wolf or something like that. Like, Mowat spent time living with wolves basically just like set up a tent but he noticed that the wolves were like coming and sniffing around his tent at night and he wasn't terribly keen on that because wolves sure so what he ended up doing was he he wanted a way to talk to the wolves and say like seriously guys like this is my space please leave me alone when i'm sleeping and so his solution was to drink an entire pot of tea and then just when he had to go to the washroom, he just walked the perimeter of his campsite and okay. marked down his territory. <laughs> and uh, since like he actually hung around, apparently uh, didn't run into as many problems with the wolves after that. That's interesting. I've heard they're very territorial, so that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? Because the wolves come up and like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were here. Why didn't you just say something? But, <laughs> you know, wolves don't speak English. So it's more like, why didn't you pee here? Like, I, I would have left you alone. Like, yeah, you smell dominant. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have uh, a good story about that. Oh, no. <laughs> you always have a story. <laughs> yeah, I know. My, my cousin's dog. Um he, well, we were, uh, we were outside one night as we often are just chatting and I had to go to the visit the little boy's room, but no little boy's room was forthcoming. So a bush did. Yep. And, uh, his dog was new at the time and running around marking things like this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. <laughs> Came up to the bush I had just used. <laughs> looked at it sniffed it really good 
and just moved on. <laughs> it's like interesting. Nope this this one isn't mine. No, that's uh, that's freshly taken. <laughs> Someone has already claimed this. <laughs> yeah, and how did I claim it? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you're just walking around the perimeter. <laughs> no, no, I was. Or wait, me or the dog? The dog was you. walking around the perimeter. I imagine. No, like you're shuffling around the tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that'd be about the size of it. eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So follow up. Yeah, we've got just uh, just a couple notes here. Did we talk about the situation in Iraq and how soldiers are being fired on? I can't remember if we talked about that or not. We did, yes. Yeah. Long and short, that's not getting any better. We've uh, The Canadian forces now have a casualty as the result of a friendly fire incident with Kurdish forces, and that's not good. No, not at all. Yeah. That's... That's about the long and short of it, but you know, we were following that story, so there it is. Right. Um I believe uh just to be for complete completeness, I think this was two episodes ago. Um we mixed up well, you mixed up Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we forgot to mention that mix up, and I didn't correct you at the time, even though I I assumed I I'll take uh sort of partial responsibility as well because i sort of thought it was wrong but i just sort of let it go so so mine was just like a complete mind fart yeah and so i mean in that case there was no guilt associated with me other than the fact that i was running my mouth off but you knew rob you knew and you didn't say anything i didn't know I i'm totally going with that being worse i didn't have the time to <laughs> to sit there and research it while we were talking <laughs> I did as soon as really we Rob you didn't have time you're sure you didn't have time I could have done it but you would have heard clickety clackety noises and then I would have yelled something at you about being wrong didn't seem worth it okay <laughs> um we had another note from I'll go ahead and say friend of the show Josh Okay. Uh, he had a note on our one party Alberta uh, discussion. And he did say that previous to the progressive conservatives, uh, Alberta was ruled by the social credit party. Yeah. And my understanding of that one was that a lot of the social credit people crossed the floor to join the conservatives. But I mean, I'd have to look into that further, but he wanted to stress the point that although it basically transferred hands from one party to another, it wasn't necessarily the same party all the way back. Right. Apparently the first government was liberal or something like that. And Albertans got together and decided that that would never, ever happen again, ever. It seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> never ever 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 <laughs> well i mean to date they've managed to keep their word but you know we'll see what right. the future brings yeah so yeah okay that's it for follow-up i believe that's it for follow-up what's All our right, first so, talking uh, point rob <laughs> the first thing that i wanted to ask you is why you look so darn tired today 
Huh, Rob, it's just... You know, you set your alarm for the morning. And there's some days like this where it just feels like you lost an entire hour somewhere. That's, yeah, I'm familiar with that feeling, actually. Yeah, it happens uh, once a year, every spring. <laughs> or near spring, I guess. It's pre-spring, just a couple weeks before. It used to be spring. Yeah. <laughs> now we got all this climate change going on. You never know when spring is going to hit. Yeah, that clearly being the main driving factor for the use of daylight savings time. Yes. So that's happened. And if the data is to be believed, the number of car crashes in the following week will be increased for no apparent reason. The number of heart attacks will be increased for no apparent reason. And insomniacs who like the, the main method of treatment is apparently getting them onto a regular sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. Their sleep schedule just changed completely involuntarily. So they can look forward to a week, maybe two of a lack of productivity. Yeah. I've heard in general, there's a huge loss of productivity during daylight savings, like during that changeover yeah alternatively in the fall when everyone gets one extra hour of sleep one night lower rates of car crashes lower <laughs> rates of heart attacks and oh i don't know what happens to insomniacs i guess that's also difficult yeah insomniacs really get a bad get a bad run of things with everything. yeah so daylight savings time what are your thoughts rob so <clears throat> I've heard conflicting stories about the origin of this. Um, I heard incorrectly that it was proposed by Benjamin Franklin. I've heard people say that it was Ben Franklin. I've heard that he wrote it in as a joke. Like he proposed daylight savings time as a joke and people went along with it. Um, apparently it was before when, when electricity is, well, I guess light in general was harder to come by. Uh, you needed candles or, or, other such things. It was a measure to allow longer working hours during daylight. But uh, in the modern age, it doesn't really seem particularly useful because electricity is incredibly, incredibly cheap. And we have lights on anyways, <laughs> even during the day. Well, uh, when I was growing up, the I, I don't know why this is. I think maybe it's just that Belleville is surrounded by farmers, but the the thing I was always told by like everyone in town was that daylight savings time was for the farmers yeah. and people just like nod and go, yeah, it's for the farmers. And I thought, Oh, okay. I guess it's for the farmers, whatever. But that took me to working in a greasy spoon in Prince Edward County. And like the majority of our customers were farmers. They'd come in around, 536 in the morning after they'd finished milking the cows or something like that. Yeah. And so they'd come in and I asked them one day. I said, "So, I mean, I've always been told that it's like farmers are the reason we have daylight savings time, but like does does daylight savings time even matter to you?" And they just looked at me like, "No. You wake up before the sun to milk the cows every day. That's just, it doesn't matter what time it is. You just go by the sun. It's like, 
Yeah. Huh. And I suppose the other clue to me should have been that, like, okay, Rob, think of farming. Done. Which province does that bring to mind? Uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah. It doesn't actually, but I know where you're going with this. <laughs> you know who doesn't have daylight savings time, Rob? Who's that? Saskatchewan. Oh. <laughs> the biggest farmiest province we have. <laughs> yeah. That, and that should have been a dead giveaway. But uh, from what I've read, it was a World War II initiative. Okay. To save power. And like the idea was to shift the workday into the daylight hours. So you'd spend less electricity on lighting and things like that. Right. So instead of sleeping through a couple hours of valuable daylight in the morning, potentially you would just go into work and then you would have light and you would spend less on electricity. Now the problem, I mean the problem now anyway, with that argument is that, air conditioning and just environmental controls are practically ubiquitous and yeah. you've just shifted the hottest part of the day into <laughs> the very middle of the work day. And I've always, I don't know. I've always found that like five thirty six, about, especially in Eastern Ontario is the worst time of day because there's that kind of response cycle of the earth. So yeah, yeah. by that point, the ground and the environment have warmed up. And even though the ambient temperature is going down a little bit, you just cannot escape the heat. Yeah. It's just, just awful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I've heard right now. And I think recently, like a bunch of places extended daylight savings time. By a couple of weeks in the year, I think. Is that it was almost a month, I thought. Okay. And I mean, like the gardeners I know are elated because the sun shines later. So when they come home from work, they have more time to dicker around in the garden, which right. they're very excited about. But for all the energetics that are involved, it seems like the worst idea. Right. For people, uh, I think this it's more sort of stressful on people's systems and schedules if they don't have a rigid or if they do have a rigid schedule. So, for instance, a lot of people work nine to five and there's no escaping those hours. Mm -hmm. But if, if something like that happened to me with my like with the government schedule, I would just work different hours. I would just, just either start earlier or like I would adapt my schedule. I would start earlier if I wanted to be done earlier. Mm. People sort of take if, if they start at nine, they value they love that time with that they get to sleep in before they have to get up for nine. Whereas I wake up at 545 to get to work at seven. And I, I love having those daylight hours in the afternoon. Mm. Yeah. And that's people, perfectly fair. Yeah. yeah. But like. Yeah. It seems as though the reason the reason you hear most often about like energy savings, it's not a valid reason. Right. No, it's, it's, if anything, it's made up for, there's no, any savings you get from one half, you lose in the other half. Yeah. 
And I mean, the the one other argument I've heard that actually does make sense, I mean, well, makes sense. It passes my sniff test anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's an economic reason, so my sniff test isn't nearly as good for this. But they were saying that uh, people are more likely to shop when it's bright out. So you have okay. increased economic activity from daylight savings time. Although when you think about it, it all seems so arbitrary, like that we have schedules the way we do. Yeah, that seems incredibly arbitrary. Yeah. I don't know. Just one of those things. I think as we see more people working from home or not necessarily having to go commute to wherever they work, you'll see a lot more flexibility of schedules. And and I think statistics will start to become more clear about when, what hours during the day people actually want to work. Mm. And I don't think you'll see one set of hours. I think you'll see things split. You see infographics from time to time come out of how these great sort of Renaissance minds spent their day either working or doing hobbies or just walking exercise, that kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. They take people like Einstein or Picasso or uh, Bach, like they they'll look at their their schedules. And it's really interesting to see that none of them work a nine to five day or even a nine to three day or whatever it is. They're all just like split up. All these great minds don't do like an eight hour workday. It just makes no sense to do that. Hmm. They just like work and then break it up with other activities or. Yeah, yeah, tons of. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Like if you just sat and you really needed to be creative all day, like that's hard. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I think Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin was on there too. Uh, I, I want to tell an interesting story because Ben Franklin to me is, is really funny. Should we uh, just, should we just put a preemptive title on this and say East meets West Ben Franklin edition? I'm putting a link to the thing. Uh, so Ben Franklin is this. I don't actually recognize some of these names, but I recognize a few of them. Uh, so Ben Franklin is was a, like a huge jokester in his entire life. Uh, he uh, apparently what I've read, the most convincing thing I've read is that he proposed daylight savings time as a joke and everyone went along with it. But I also heard that he wasn't allowed to help write the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, because he would have put a joke into it. Like he would have written something stupid into the constitution and they didn't want that. He was notorious for that. And that daylight savings time was his idea. Just seems really funny. I think we should do some fact checking and follow up on that. Well, I've fact checked and I've heard conflicting stories, but that one seems like the most legitimate. Huh? Interesting. So do you have this open now? Yeah. The daily routines of famous creative people. I will put a link to it. But yeah, they, the um, the longest working hours during the day seems to be Franz Kafka. And that was from about 8 or 9 a.m. until 2 or 3 p.m. Kafka. <laughs> Where is he? He's fourth from the bottom. And we're going to, I assume we're putting the. Yeah, I'll put, we'll put. The you'll link be able to somewhere. find this picture if you're looking. But I don't know. He sleeps during the afternoon, though. Yeah. And sounds amazing. a little bit in the morning. He's getting like his seven, eight hours of sleep. He's just breaking it up. Yeah. I think, oh, wait, who was it? 
I think Sigmund Freud looks like he's sleeping the least out of these people. Uh, but he was also a uh, a noted advocate for cocaine. And <laughs> that explains why he's working from 11 until 1 a.m. Well, yeah, I mean, he <laughs> he uh, he thought of it as a mild stimulant and he was a huge advocate until he saw like the lives that cocaine destroyed. Yeah. But yeah, the cocaine as a mild stimulant would explain why he got so much done in a day and so little sleep. Yeah. You know who I think actually, Oh, Sigmund Freud and Voltaire. He's number four. He looks like he's really getting the least sleep and he's just doing like 14 hours of creative work per day. Ooh. And so his day job is like what? Two to 4 PM, two hours a day. Wow. Crazy. So clearly we should have been philosophers. Yeah, absolutely. I've always, hmm. I've always wanted to be a philosopher. Also, Mozart actually also has a really short sleep schedule. Hmm. It's about halfway down. Weird. <laughs> sleep is, yeah, sleep is a weird thing. Everyone, everyone loves it so much, but they disrespect the amount of sleep they should get in my mind. Yeah. I don't know. I I have had to pay more attention to it lately just with school and things like that. There are some yeah. days I came I come home and I just need to go to sleep for 2 hours. Because yeah, otherwise I, it yeah. just nothing is going to happen for the rest of the day. School does that to you, I find. Yeah, but I like if I'm not getting a solid 8 hours at least, things start to go poorly. Yeah. Also, I have a final tomorrow. The day after the time change. So that's yeah. going to be awesome. It's yeah. A good day for it. Have we, have we set our, Oh, actually one more story about uh, daylight savings time. Sure. The one time that does become an issue is for shift workers on, cause our midnight crew would come in at, this is at SGS. Our midnight crew would come in Sunday night and then work until monday morning oh that sounds terrible and so daylight savings time like the switch to daylight savings time was a great night for them because the hour just vanished yeah and like they were all about that one the uh so the spring forward okay in the minds of shift workers the fall back however that was a slightly different matter. Just like, yeah, yeah guys, we made it to 3 a.m. Only three more. Oh, no. <laughs> You'd see it coming, but I imagine it would be very disheartening to watch the clock just clunk back an hour. I assume that's how they did it. It's just like just the most disheartening, like, thump. <laughs> it falls back. <laughs> <laughs> they, should, they should have, like, you know, just a little sound effect to go on when that happens. Just wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So have we set our piece on daylight savings time? Uh, we, yeah, I think we're both on the record as being fine with it being abolished or even for it being abolished. Uh, yeah, or thereabouts, I guess. I don't know. Noon I, is defined as the time when the sun is highest in the sky and... Or was. Uh, well, give or take, that's the Yeah, it's historical. approximately that now. Yeah, yeah so... 
I don't know. I'd go with it. You know who isn't experiencing a time change right now? Saskatchewan. And? The moon. This is kind of a fun note. Kaya, because she is in Belize, and they do not observe the time change in the Caribbean. Oh, that's nice. Because of parallax, it makes so much less difference to them. Right. Yeah. It makes it makes almost no difference to us either because we are creatures of habit. And so gradual change of the length of the day isn't barely noticeable to us. Well, yeah, but like the sudden loss of an hour of sleep. No, I, I suppose. I mean, yeah, Without I suppose it, the long and short here is that, you know, inhabitants of the Caribbean still being envied by those in the northern hemisphere. That's a true. Fact. Sounds like the long and short to me, anyway. Yeah. I, I'm actually all for universal time, just having one standard time, and everyone being on it and just carrying on with their lives, adjusting their schedules to fit that. Yeah, work starts here at uh, 2130 UTC. Just uh, just be sure to show up for then. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, it's kind of already happened. If if you wanted to live on that schedule, you could. You could you just like, it's an yeah. easy conversion. Yeah. Maybe I should, I should try that just even mentally to see, <laughs> just change all my <laughs> clocks to universal time and just like try to figure out when I, when I would need to be asleep to get to work for seven Eastern. That'd be fun. Just as a mental game for myself. This reminds me of the time you changed your keyboard to QWERTY from QWERTY to, to Dvorak. I would have kept doing it if i could switch it back and forth at will but i kept like you have to rearrange without the breaking keys. keys yeah yeah i that recall that I being stopped. your issue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. so next up uh i assume you've read my blog from the past week uh you would assume <gasps> you really would i have not i have it open here but i have not read it yet robert it's, j atrell <laughs> atrell atrell I can't keep that straight. I'm so sorry. I am on my fifth podcast in the last eight days right now. Um, I'm going to read it. I really am. And I actually wanted to read it this morning, but my time ended up disappearing a lot faster than it ever could have. But I want to hear about it. I want to hear what you went into it because you sat there and wrote, to my understanding, you sat there and wrote 2,500 words uh, in an evening. Yeah, it was uh, last... Well, not last Thursday. It's like the opposite of oxed, but not last Thursday, but the Thursday before that. Pre-oxed. Pre-oxed. So pre-oxed <laughs> Thursday, um, I just sat down in my chair and apparently really needed a creative outlet. So I just hammered out all three articles and decided I would just release them throughout a week. Yeah. Because they were really... It was either three smaller articles, which would have a much better focus, or just one ridiculous, rambling, long article, which, I mean, I'm no stranger to that style, I don't think, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I felt the three separate ones would make a better read. It, it's, it does. Even just, it makes a better skim for me right now. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, it all leads up to my predictions so like if we're going to talk about it now that's totally spoilers 
Um, Are you okay we'll with say, that, Rob? Go to, go to vodkaandequations.blogspot.com and read these before you listen to the rest of this. If you if you can have a piece of writing about politics spoiled for you, and that is something <laughs> that will that will be bad, then by all means, go read it first. This is a spoiler alert. We will leave two <laughs> seconds of silence here and then talk about it. So, yeah, I wrote three <laughs> in order of the current share of seats in the House of Commons. So the order, order was Harper, Mulcair, Trudeau as the leaders of the three main parties. I did not write an article on the Green Party because I say this with almost absolute certainty. They will not win the next election. Yeah, which is, yeah, we'll get to that. Bold predictions here on East meets West. <laughs> um, yeah, so Harper. Interesting case. Is what I'll say. He. He appears to be ruling entirely to cater to the conservative voter base. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to the point where I'm not sure like whether he's just pandering to his base or he's actually making decisions that he think will he thinks will work. It's I hard d- to say actually. I I don't know, and that's like purely baseless speculation. Most of these art- articles are just me making baseless conjecture, which was actually really interesting because usually I just write things on things that have already happened or I can cite things, refer to facts. But this one was just like, I think this will happen. Yeah. I think this is going on. It was an interesting change, but uh, he, he's never really broken through 40% popular support. Right. It just, he is absolutely capped and I don't know whether it's just that he's only pandering to his base or like people still don't trust him after this long or what it is, but he's just really not making that breakthrough that you have to for like solid guaranteed majority territory. He doesn't need a majority at this point, does he? Uh, well, he has one now. <clears throat> right, but he's he's done without it. I guess so. I don't know. Did, yeah, so he gets up to a majority in the lead up to an election. And then sort of after the election, he doesn't really care as much. He goes back to being staunchly conservative. and Or something. I don't know. Yeah. Although I think there was, in the last election anyway, I think there was some voter fatigue. Because the opposition just kept bringing down his minority government. And so finally people went, I'm sick of going to the polls. I'm just going to vote for the conservatives so that we stop having elections every year. Right. And that's fair. That's called voter fatigue, I think. And it's speculated that that happened in the last Ontario election as well. Like the there had been a couple of elections just because the the governing liberals were held to a minority and they were brought down a couple times and people just went, you know what? Fine. I'm voting win now. Cause I am tired of going to the polls for this. Sure. So yeah, I mean, so it's been a while and the polls really do not have a decisive leader at this point. 
It appears that the the liberals have gained significantly at the expense of the NDP under okay. under Mulcair, but uh, yeah, that's that's what that looks like right now. So, do you want to hear my prediction, or should I save that for the blog? Uh, well, it's. Do you have an overall prediction on the blog, or do you mean the predictions in each part? The predictions in each part for how the election will go. No, I think you should. I think if you want to state it, you should. No, you know what? I'll save that for uh, vodka and equations, which you can find okay. by just googling vodka and equations, and it should be the top result because yeah. very few people <clears throat> use the phrase vodka and equations. Almost nobody. <laughs> yeah, it's basically it. Like I've had the top Google results yeah. ever since yeah. I started that blog. And so there's also, you know, an origin post about why vodka and equations was used as an identifier for me. But sure. That's also on the blog. Well, you you are that one person. It's the, it's the moral of that story. Basically, yeah. Um yeah. so let's talk about Mulcair. Okay. He has been one of the best leaders of the opposition since Ignatiev, I think. Ignatiev's philosophy was that you are the queen's loyal opposition and your job is to hold government to account, but not necessarily to hinder the government. So you are there to critique everything they do, and that is your job. But if a piece of legislation is deserving of support after that, uh, I want to say, you know, after that conversation that you've had, then by all means vote for it. Yeah. Um, but Mulcair has been very good in that role. And given the fact that it's a majority parliament, he has no political leverage over anything right now. Which is interesting because in all the minority parliaments, the NDP was the third party that the liberals or the conservatives had to pander to in order to get something done or the NDP or the bloc. Yeah. Details. Um, so they really held a lot of power, but it's ironic now that they're the official opposition. They have so little power because it finally became a majority government. Yeah. But Mulcair is doing a great job of holding Harper's feet to the fire. Like he he's on uh, the house with Evan Solomon. Great CBC show. Uh, he's on there a lot talking about things that he perceives as being wrong or not having been thoroughly explored enough. He was also he's just dogged about demanding an explanation from the conservatives on the the Canadian forces role in Iraq. Okay. I just stopped and was like, yes, it is Iraq, not <laughs> Afghanistan. Yeah. I didn't just screw that up again. Okay, good. We can move on. Uh, yeah. But he's like, he's the only guy, well, probably not anymore, but he was one of the only people in parliament saying, listen, what's the deal with our forces? What's happening to them? And it's still like the conservatives are still standing up and saying, listen, they're in a non-combat role. They're training. And Mulcair stands up and goes, they're getting shot at. Right. 
they're on the front lines. How are they in a training role? And some other conservative will stand up and say their favorite catchphrase from the past few years. Like we've been very clear on this matter. (laughs) The Canadian forces are not on the, or not in a combat role. Let me be clear. And you know, they clear is like their favorite word. We've been very clear or let me be clear. Right. Next time you listen to listen to a, a Tory member of parliament talk, Try and count the number of times they say, let me be clear, or we've been very clear. I will. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I will. Please do. It's interesting because Harper campaigned on transparency and <laughs> clear is way up in their vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm. I don't know that. Mulcair is the best politician. Right. But because I mean, being a politician and being a good leader are not necessarily the same thing. I think Mulcair is probably the most reasonable person in that room. The room being the house. Um, And I'm absolutely loving how he goes after people for partisan rhetoric like the whole Paul Calandra fiasco. There's a video on my blog of that whole thing happening, okay. which is absolutely worth the watch. Just your jaw kind of drops midway through when you realize that these are the elected representatives of the people of Canada and they get paid so much money for that job to do that every day. Right. But uh, yeah, worth a listen. My mm-hmm. verdict on care is he's probably the most reasonable guy in the room yeah and still saving my prediction and uh <laughs> my last article was on justin trudeau and that is also an interesting dynamic that's been introduced i am so interested to see what happens in the 2015 election and that's part of the reason i wrote this just because the dynamic has shifted so dramatically since the last election. Right. Uh, Trudeau is proving to be a good politician. Um, he is deftly handling the lobs that Harper is throwing at him, which is something that the other liberal leaders lacked. Like they were just, the conservative attack ad machine would just start churning every time there was a new liberal leader and it destroyed Paul Martin, Stefan Dion, Michael Ignatieff. Right. And they named Trudeau as their leader. And the attack ad machine churned again and came out with an attack ad against him. And Trudeau, all he did was release like one ad. I'm I'm not even sure I ever saw it on television. I just saw it on the internet. Right. But it shows him with the video playing beside him of the attack ad. And he stops the ad and he's like, this is ridiculous and Canadians deserve better. And that was basically the long and short of the ad. And I was like, <laughs> excellent repost. Yeah, that's probably the best way anyone could have handled that. Right. And so just 
shrugging it off instead of getting uppity like the last three did appears to have been a valid strategy. And I'm not sure how the conservatives are going to handle that. Right. So I've been, I've been talking for a long while. You talk now, Rob. So I'm interested. I, I didn't pay too much attention. I don't pay too much attention to politics in the small picture. Like I tend to sort of keep a, apprised of the overall situation you look at the um, broad the broad strokes not the minutia yeah. i'm interested to hear i did not know that mark garno was running in the he, liberal leadership race he was and i i assume you're at that point in my blog yeah or you're reading the feedback no i'm at the i'm at that point okay yeah and just i I saw the two of them and my prediction from the start was that what the liberals really needed to come back from third party status was a young charismatic leader, mm-hmm. possibly like, and it wouldn't hurt for that leader to be good looking because in politics, the good looking candidate mm-hmm. usually gets a bunch of votes just because they're good looking. Yeah. But, and I mean, Trudeau by all accounts <clears throat> is that in spades. <clears throat> yeah. But Mark Garno had a much better resume. I felt And Mark Garno was an astronaut. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to run again in the future. That would be great. But we could have an astronaut prime minister. That does sound amazing. Let me just say that once more. (laughs) An astronaut prime minister. Or is it prime minister astronaut? I don't even know. How do you rank those titles? They're both so fantastic. I think astronaut wins. An astronaut prime minister? Yeah, no matter what you are afterwards, you're an astronaut first. A right honorable astronaut? I think astronaut right honorable. I think astronaut precedes everything. Okay, so like you look at him, it's not like Mr. Mark Garno, it's astronaut Mark Garno. Yeah, exactly. That's he's fair not enough. even a man anymore, he's a legend. <laughs> if you've been to space, that's what you get. That would be a world yeah. first, right? Nope. No other elected official, like no other leaders of countries have been in space. That would have been a first. I I believe that would. And I mean, it, it's funny because we're saying it as if just he could win based on that alone. Just like, you know, it's like, so what do you think of this economic policy we're proposing? I just want to say that uh, I was an astronaut. Back away from the mic. Yeah. If it was just us voting, it would that would be how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining the conservative attack ad on that one because Michael Ignatieff had been in Britain or the States or something, probably both. I think it was the States. He taught at Harvard. Yeah. And it's like, Michael Ignatieff didn't come back for you. So I'm imagining the attack campaign for Garno would be Mark Garno. He didn't come back to earth for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would love that. Right. He has to run again. That, that would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, he's getting on in years and it depends on how, like whether or not Trudeau appears to be, or proves to be dynastic, but yeah, I mean, he, he has so far in that he is part of a dynasty already 
Well, I mean, a name dynasty, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I will leave my official predictions. But what I want to stress here is that I am so excited for the election. Like, I mean, granted, it's going to be October, November, something like that. Has the date been set? Uh, they have the mandatory election dates. Yeah. And the only way that Harper would call it earlier is if he really felt like someone else was gaining steam. Right. And the other issue is that like the Mike Duffy trial is starting up and things like that are happening. So some people speculated like maybe they should have had it sooner like now ish before that trial started depending on what they expect to find but yeah i it is going to be so interesting and i know it's far away but 308.com eric grenier i think it is uh he's basically like canada's answer to what is it 534 yeah silver but like the poll aggregation is inconclusive thus far. Like it's, okay. it's that close wow. and that's so cool. And I absolutely, absolutely believe that we should have a live blog for election 2015 or a live we can make that hangout. Happen. We can certainly try. That would be so cool. There will be a lot of factors going into whether or not that's uh, actually reasonable. Um, I have to check on that because at least a few years ago, anyway, it might be illegal. Uh, oh, there was the whole controversy about tweeting. Yeah. Cause you're not allowed to, or I don't know if they changed that or not. They were talking about it, but you're not allowed to, or at least weren't to communicate election results before the polls, polls close in other jurisdictions. Yeah. So like, yeah, huh? I I suppose we best not break There's federal a, electoral law. As much as the Huffington Post can be believed, um, apparently in 2012 they were reporting that the Canadian election gag law to, is allowing to be lifted. Oh, okay. Uh, well, we can look into it. Yeah. So we can start broadcasting when the polls close in BC. Yeah. Uh, a 1938 law, maximum fine of 25,000. So that's, that's okay. Absolutely. We have that in the unwind media budget, right? Of course. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, there's, this is a pretty nice, I'm going to put this, this link in here as well. Good. How would you even communicate that in 1938? Like telegraph? Probably. Yeah, that's how it would have to go. I don't think they had any other rapid, unless you like, they had automobiles, but like hop on a horse and cross a border, I guess. Yeah, that would be probably the biggest factor. 
But I feel like different provinces vote down different lines anyways, so whether or not well, that would have I don't an impact. Know. The idea is that you're preventing strategic voting <clears throat> yeah. in yep. the more western provinces. Yeah. But I'm I don't know. Like should that be your democratic right as someone in the west or should you vote the way you were going to vote anyway? Yeah. Are you not allowed to vote strategically? <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, because Newfoundlanders would not have that advantage. Yeah. Like they would just have to vote how they were going to vote anyway. And it might be considered an unfair advantage to Western voters, I guess, maybe. Right. Somehow. You know what would help this? What's that? Had some kind of universal time and everyone voted <laughs> at the same time. If Boom. only. <laughs> Yeah, fair. It's like yep. polls open this time Greenwich Mean and close this time Greenwich Mean. Yeah. Or are we going UTC? Either. I mean, it's the same thing. Greenwich and, and Universal Time are the same thing. Universal Coordinated Time, I believe it's called. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, that's... I'm stoked. Stoked enough that I sat down and wrote 2,500 words on politics when I really should have been... Writing a relative merits report. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of my blog or my uh, thesis acknowledgement section that I just <laughs> sat there and wrote one afternoon when I should have been writing my thesis and didn't feel like it that day. It's amazing what you can get done when you're supposed to be doing something else. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Particularly school related. Like yeah. if I'm actually salaried for something, I just tend to work on it better, but Schoolwork, man. If it's just for grades. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, are we done with the election for now? Uh for now. We'll this'll, you know, of course, ramp up towards November. Yeah. October. October? October. Somewhere in between. Somewhere in there. Something like that. Yeah. So you had talking point on here about fake punditry yeah i've been wanting to talk about this for quite some time not just with you but i wanted to sort of start the conversation and get my own mind grapes brewing um and so i I had this on the docket for last episode which was almost a month ago and uh i had been doing a lot of reading about punditry and about outspoken loudly outspoken in some cases usually conservative pundits who were possibly playing characters and one of the biggest the 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 sort of biggest thing that i had heard at the time or over the last couple of years is that ann coulter is actually an incredibly brilliant uh fake conservative pundit and says all kinds of ridiculous things to prove the opposite point. Cause she's actually very intelligent. And everyone else <laughs> so, has said like, she's this, she's this brilliant woman. And then she gets in front of a camera and just goes on these ridiculous rants about nonsense. So wait, wait, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little confused. Is the assertion that she is still conservative not necessarily the i i guess it would be almost like kind of like a either apolitical or agnostic if that's a word that can be applied to politics 
And I don't um, think it is. <laughs> yeah, apolitical is a, is a fine word then. Non-affiliated, non-partisan. Okay. But sort of, I think, more left-leaning than right-leaning. Just, she spouts all kinds of crazy, like, you could legitimately say some of the things she said is, are crazy, but a lot of people are sort of getting out and saying, like, she's doing this because... Like she's putting her her own reputation on the line to make a point to people to to be outraged on behalf of the things she she's repeating what people are saying in small town southern U.S. and broadcasting it so that people can see how ridiculous it is. I just I I, I gotta interject there. Yeah, because it is not just small town southern U.S. No, of course it not. Is, it is quite often small town anywhere. That's that's fair. You may um, continue. Yeah. So I've heard the same. Th- I've heard about her. <clears throat> I've heard. Uh, I've heard about uh, Fred Phelps, Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, okay. Is another guy who was completely reasonable and then founded. Or I don't know if he was involved with the church, but they, they have been known to protest. Uh to protest at like military funerals at gay marriage uh, ceremonies or any place where, uh, where like courthouses where gay marriages are being uh, done for the first time when, when laws are overturned and he died in last year or two. And people have been saying that again, he was, he didn't actually believe that he was trying to get all these people who do vehemently believe these terribly homophobic and racist things to say them to like out themselves as that. And that he was just sort of putting his own reputation on the line again to, to do that. So like a non-religious martyr. Yeah. Or sort of well, saying, in, in Fred Phelps case, perhaps just a straight up martyr, but right. Cause there are different there sort are, of way. Yeah. There are tons, there are thousands, tens of thousands, probably millions of reasonable people in any given population large enough um, that are completely quiet and, or they'll, they'll say something reasonable and nobody cares, but there are all of these. That's frequently referred to as the silent minority silent majority. majority. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are a bunch of loud people saying terrible, horrible things that get a, get, get airtime, get a voice. Yeah. And so He's he and Ann Coulter and uh, Stephen Colbert is a great example because we know that he's a character. Yeah, he will say all kinds of ridiculous things, pointing out flaws in the system. And have you seen I think it's a PBS PBS episode where they interviewed him out of character. I've seen several interviews with him out of character. Yeah, really interesting. I well, I mean, I've only ever seen that one, but really interesting. Also, just. I mean, watching the show, it's surprising when you hear he's actually a devout Catholic. Yeah. It, well, no, he he his character is a devout Catholic, too. Well, yeah, his character is a devout Catholic, but different yeah. sort oh, of yeah. Catholic. It is different. Yeah. Yeah. But I I kind of love hearing about this because I try to sort of bring up a lot of important issues in my own life in videos I make and just people I talk to in regular life. And they don't really get a lot of traction. 
So I think it would be interesting to make a video series or some kind of thing, be it writing, be it video, be it podcast, deconstructing terrible, flawed arguments or or uh, bigoted or discriminatory arguments from the perspective of somebody doing that, from so the, the perspective of somebody having that point of view, like Stephen Colbert does. Like he did it so well with the... Um, the FEC, the Federal Election Commission in the States. Uh, he went through this whole thing trying to run for for president, just showing how terrible campaign finance law is in the U.S. and raising money for himself that he that was completely unaccountable. Create, like, the Colbert Super PAC? The yeah, it was Americans so for good. a Better Tomorrow Tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Well, and because uh, he was making fun of people like Carl Rove who have these Super PACs. And then he created the... Uh, super PAC SSH, like commerce, <laughs> the with the one where you didn't know where the money was coming from. <laughs> oh, it was so good. That's and fantastic. He, yeah, so he like he ended up going, giving all the money to charity, but it was so so. It makes people pay attention to the election cycle, and it makes people pay attention and see things from other ways that they wouldn't necessarily do. There's another example I have here: uh, Barack Obama. Uh, when he started running for office, uh, when he started, I believe he was in Congress before, uh, he started running and he was telling people that he was okay with, like he had nothing against gay marriage. And then as soon as he started sort of ramping up his campaign for president, he had to stop and say, no, I'm against it. I'm religious. Like I go to church all the time. And there are people saying that he doesn't actually go to church or, and he isn't all that religious. <gasps> But you cannot you cannot get in elected office in the states without being devoutly religious. So he had to be, and so he's since he's been in office, this massive change in gay marriage laws across the U.S. has come into effect. And basically, he started out when he first got into the Oval Office. He was saying, "Oh, you know, like it's it's kind of maybe okay under certain circumstances, and states should be able to make up their own decisions." And then basically, as soon as he got reelected in his second term, he was just like, yeah, gay marriage is fine. And he had uh, Joe Biden was was basically on that line the entire time. As soon as he was elected the first time, Joe Biden was he was doing these sort of flubs where he was saying gay marriage is OK, but like sort of just trying to politically ease the, that message mm -hmm. in. And I, it, it's so crazy that you have to have these so-called popular opinions that are horribly wrong and outdated in order to get the people that wouldn't listen to you to kind of listen to you and then slowly change their mind. But I feel like that's what's happening in all of these cases. Yeah. I, uh, so this, this pertains a little more to you um, because unwind media empire. Yeah. Um, Steve Dangle, who has now worked for the CBC, uh, was Leafs TV and he's now working for Sportsnet, like doing what he loves, following hockey and like that kind of stuff for okay. a living. Uh, he started up on YouTube making goofy YouTube videos, but his first Leafs fan reaction videos. I am a huge fan of his, by the way. Yeah. 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 One free pizza on the podcast, which was awesome. <laughs> um. There's a link to be supplied there, but his, I think it was his first Leafs fan reaction video. He 
invented his hat guy character. Okay. As mocking like everyone in the mainstream media at the time. So he just okay. put his hat hat on sideways, put on a goofy voice, and said, "The Leafs have won or lost both of their first games of the season. We need to fire the coach. We need to trade away Matt Sunday. We need to trade away all the players. Like this is ridiculous." <laughs> he does a better voice, but right, yeah. yeah, he was just pointing out how absurd everyone sounded, and just his main message was, "Calm down. It's been yeah. two games." Yeah. As it turns out, you know, the the worst was absolutely ahead of him. But yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, had they initiated a proper rebuild at that point, the Leafs would be scary good by this point. Or maybe they'd have already won a couple cups and started a slow decline again. But <laughs> uh, yeah, still, though, main message like you guys are ridiculous. Like, come on. Right. And I mean, I think that's there's a logical fallacy there somewhere where you like I think it might be straw man where you create a caricature and then tear down the caricature of the people you're trying to argue with. I believe that's straw man. But I mean, as fallacious as that argument is, it's an excellent way of demonstrating the flaws in a line of reasoning. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do it all the time myself. Yeah. It's great to it, it is nice when you understand fallacies to you you can sort of build one up and then deconstruct it. Yeah. Yeah. I know I also find it just there's no better way to rebut a fallacious argument than to just name the fallacy they're using. Like <laughs> Nahid Nenshi did that once. One oh, yeah? of his political opponents said I forget what it was, but it's like when will then she stopped doing this thing that he's doing. He's like, you know, there's no way for me to rebut that. You and I were on the same debating team at the same university at the <laughs> same time. Like, come on. And so the guy's like, yeah, but when will you acknowledge this? And he's like, I don't know. When will you stop beating your wife? Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, no, that's but that's the classic argument. Right. Like, yeah. When when did you stop beating your wife? Like there's, there's no answer to that. Right. But that was the same fallacy that yeah. what's his guy was using. Sure. The guy, the guy then published an article full of all kinds of righteous indignation that he had been <laughs> accused of beating his wife, but it just <laughs> completely missed the point. And that's why Nenshi is great. Yeah. That, that happens far too often. Short. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've been labeled as pretentious a couple times. Because I'll be in an argument and people will just like, yeah, Dick, you're an asshole or whatever. And I'll go, yeah, argumentum ad hominem, sir. (laughs) And you can get a label as being pretentious when you bust out Latin phrases. Yeah, any Latin will get you labeled as pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) Almost immediately. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. So but you wanted to you wanted to talk about Rick Mercer here too. Actually, you know what, having read this all the way through, I not really. Like he just no? I I was almost going to say his Rick's rants did that sometimes, but not really. Like never never to the same extent. Right. 
Although, man, I, the, the Ann Coulter one, that discussion right now is a little mind blowing because if you truly wanted to expose the kind of raw vitriol of the Tea Party movement and its influence on the Republican Party, the character of Ann Coulter would be one of the single best ways to do it. Yeah. Do you remember when she came to speak at University of Ottawa? <laughs> I do. I was right yeah. there. Oh, were you actually? I was on campus when that was supposed to happen and there was a big Ooh. crowd gathering outside Marion. Yeah. How did that go? Cause I mean, I've heard hearsay of how that went. <clears throat> I, I didn't see it, but I definitely heard people and like, I wanted to stay away from there, <laughs> but I was That's... in the same building as, as it was happening in. Oh, okay. I thought it was at like Tabaret. No, it or, was, I think it was supposed to be Marion. That was, or I guess maybe it would have been closer to alumni hall. But they they canceled it, right? They ended up canceling that. She didn't actually did. give the talk. Um, and that was a whole that was a whole to do. Uh, I remember this is complete hearsay and completely from one side of it. But uh, I knew someone that had gone to protest and Coulter. Yep. And the account of this person was that. The the original group protesting Ann Coulter had been there and was standing there and, you know, protesting. And then conservative protesters came up to protest the protest. And apparently that's <laughs> when it apparently that's when it started getting ugly. Like people were being yeah. spat on and things like that. And right. it caused enough of a ruckus that they shut the whole thing down. Right. However, um. They had also like the I think the president of U of O had sent a warning to Ann Coulter because she was on a American public speaking circuit. Yep. And they sent her a letter that <laughs> said, hey, by the way, um, in Canada, the Constitution has a reasonable limits clause on free speech. So if you say these things that you've been saying so far on your speaking circuit, you could potentially be arrested. Right. For, you know, spreading hate speech. Yeah. And she loudly decried that as being like, oh, they're they're threatening to arrest me if I come here and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just a little bit over the top. But I think there was also like private emails that were leaked in the wake of that whole thing. And I guess the president and vice president after the event got canceled said to each other, oh, thank God. <laughs> like thank god this woman did not speak on our campus right which is absolutely partisan yeah but if it's partisan in the sense that it's against ann coulter i'm not sure how upset i am i'm not i'm not like absolutely advocating that but i'm yeah. not exactly ashamed of my alma mater for doing it yeah, yeah, I get that. It's weird balancing that out. I uh, I found a link to the Ann Coulter thing that I had read. <clears throat> so we'll put a link to it in there. People can read about mm. in in rather than me just paraphrasing it, people can actually go and read what I what I read that made me sort of start to look at her in that way. 
That's really interesting. Like what? It, oh, what if it was all an act? <laughs> it would be amazing. A little, maybe overdone a little, but amazing. I don't know. Like that's, if you really want to make your point, I, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Huh. We got one more thing in here. Do you want to do that or do you want to put it off until next time? Uh, we can do it now. Okay. I'm, I would actually like to hear your opinion on this as a former Albertan because I think you, you must have left just before. Well, let me just look at this article here. When did the boom really start? Like 2003? Was it ever not a boom? The, I mean, well, yeah, it wasn't always a boom. Like it, there was just this meteoric rise in the odds. Huh. I'm just trying to time it exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> this makes for, for spectacular, spectacular listening. I don't like that the story you put in here is only formatted in mobile and I cannot seem to get it not mobile. It just says page not found. Um, uh, oh my God, that's true. There's no thing like view full site here. Yeah. Oh, CBC, get it together. Most of them do. You tend to post mobile links to CBC stories, but this one doesn't work. I do because I'm usually on my phone when I read them. Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, anyway. So <clears throat> Alberta's budget is not exactly where people would like it to be. Okay. Because they get a lot of money from oil revenues. And the price of oil is low, so production is going down, and that is a problem. Right. So, as this is happening, the Fraser Institute drops a report saying that Alberta has been the architect of its own demise. Mm -hmm. Because as the boom started, they say it started about uh, 2005 in earnest, like really starting to boom. Right. Uh, with, and you were here for that. I mean, do you have any input on that? I think I was too young and didn't pay enough attention to it. That's fair. Yeah. Did you work construction? Uh, <clears throat> in the summer of 2007, I worked at Totem. Okay. Building supplies. But no, not, not construction. That was probably oil fuel <clears throat> construction. Yeah, it was pretty busy. I, mean, but I have no, I have no corollary to, to how busy it was versus past years. Fair enough. Um, so they're saying that uh, when they really started booming, Alberta started spending way too much money. Like the the public spending outstripped both inflation and population growth. Yep. So you could increase spending because of inflation. You could spend it because you have more population to it to tend to. But they just, you know, started going gangbusters, comparatively speaking. And Alberta, when when they started to boom, they set up the Heritage Fund, which. Okay. Why call it the Heritage Fund 
or it's the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Yeah, I don't. They they love giving using stupid buzzwords like that, like Canada's economic action plan. It's nonsense. I don't know. Like you, you usually see the word heritage, show, like popping up with conservative groups. Yeah, and I mean, the governing party is conservative, but yeah, I mean, also has been for the past half century, right? Just about. Um, but so they set up the Heritage Savings Trust Fund so that ideally, because I'm, it's great because they realize that oil is not going to last forever. Right. So they said, we are going to have this savings fund. We're going to put a certain fraction of money into it every year. And then we will have an economic fund to help us. Uh when you know either oil dries up or like right now it would be helpful there's a slump in oil prices and we could use some extra income from something yeah. um but what the fraser institute did is they compared alberta's savings trust to ones in alaska and norway yep and we're not doing well here in alberta Alaska said that they would put a minimum of 25% of their resource revenue into this fund. And the income from the fund can be used to help uh, public spending, but never the principal. Should that be interest? I know this isn't you that wrote this, but I feel like that should Uh, be interest, not income. Tomato, tomato. Is it though? Like income seems to be like any year you could use, like it's money that's coming in. Well, I mean, if it's invested in the stock market or something like that and. Oh, I guess that's, yeah, that's fair. I mean, the principle is not exactly, you know, a fixed number. Right. Or all, you could view the principle as a fixed number. Fair um, so that's what they did. And they so you cannot eat into the principle. You can only spend what's coming out of it. And that's that's also how uh, like a lot of scholarships work. Somebody, you know, submits a fund of money, and you can only spend a certain amount of it because it it they want it to grow over time as well. Yeah, which is I don't know, good system I think. Yeah, it's understandable. Uh, Norway is another jurisdiction that has a similar scheme. Although they said they would put 100% of resource revenue in there or net proceeds thereof. Um, They haven't done it every single year, but they've been pretty good about it is the the review of their progress. Right. But. And and I mean, that's that's pretty good. But in Alberta. Between 2006 and 2008, they put 4.5 billion in there, and nothing has happened since then. And the total is currently 15 billion. Okay. So, I mean, there are people out there who are saying we really need to be dipping into that 15 billion, but that just completely misses the point of having that savings fund there. But 
So Alaska's fund is $64 billion. Norway's is $759 billion, which is amazing. That is almost a trillion yeah. dollars. Go Norway. Yeah, like even at not great interest rates, you could just sit that in the bank and have a tidy sum every year to work with. Yeah. But, yeah, so I forget what they said the what we've missed out on. Yeah. They said if they'd kept the, if they'd kept the spending, you know, on par with inflation, we, we've basically ended up with a $49 billion difference. Right. So if they actually contributed and not spent all the money that was coming in, they would have an extra 50 billion kicking around, which would give you much more interest and or income. And yeah. So I just found out about this. I think it's a great idea. What do you think? Of starting to, to put money into it? Well, I think, I think the concept was a good idea. Yeah, definitely. I don't think now is, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think now is the time to be shoveling money into it, but you know right i mean it seems like we wouldn't get nearly that much money but it's obviously worked well if if norway's got 750 billion dollars in the bank yeah just set aside for like what what is it even for it's just to have money in as a country well it's to uh it's to fund things in the future after the oil runs out okay yeah that seems like a great idea <clears throat> Because right it's, now, isn't it corporations getting rich off of it right now? Sorry? in Like in Alberta, corporations that own whatever land are getting the resources and making money off it, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the companies make money, but they're saying take the revenue that comes from oil, like directly from oil to the government and set okay. that money okay. aside. Um. But I mean, there was a lot of spending around 2006, 2007. Right. When oil was really high and everyone was doing well. Yeah. I mean, just walking around here, you can see a lot of things that were built around that time. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. They're saying if we'd committed to the Norway model, we could have saved $100 billion by now. Which, yeah, that's crazy. Would sure be helpful right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I the the when it comes down like to the large scale of a country's economy or a province's economy, I think it's hard for an everyday person to wrap their mind around what like what they can even do. And and especially with numbers that big, it's impossible to know. But it definitely seems like investing in a point where oil runs out. I mean, right now we're already into getting like squeezing oil out of sand to try to keep making money off of it. seems like that's going to run out pretty soon. Well, and I mean, another thing to consider, if that fund grew big enough, could it support a basic income? Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> and I dropped that and all of a sudden Rob's eyes lit up. There's a <laughs> smile across his face like, oh, um, 
Yeah, that's akin to akin to yesterday with uh, with mentioning open sourcing of NSERC. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about today? Oh, I mean, like the other aspect of that is they're looking at introducing a sales tax because of how bad tax. a provincial sales tax yeah. because of how bad it is right now. Right. And boy, are people balking at that? <laughs> well, nobody loves, nobody likes taxes. No, but I mean the other, the income model that sounds the best to me without a solid grasp of economics yep. is what a lot of people would like to see d- done is removing income tax almost entirely and then just having a larger sales tax so if you have less money you spend less money on or you overall you spend less money on things yeah and you pay fewer taxes just by design and if you have a lot of money you buy a lot of things you buy a lot of expensive things you're going to end up contributing a bunch more to the tax base. Yeah. That's pretty standard tax talk. Yeah. But I mean, the idea there is that when you tax something, one, you do it to raise revenue and two, you do it often to discourage a behavior because you make it more expensive. And so a lot of people have said, you know, why are we discouraging people from making money? Cause that just seems silly. You could admit, you could make the same argument that I mean, a tax on, buying things discourages the behavior but i don't know i feel as though people are gonna keep buying things they definitely are yeah you're not gonna see a stop in that yeah so i don't know what do you think of a sales tax in alberta i think it's going to rocket to the core when i left I mean, I I left a place that had 5% sales tax and now I have 13% sales tax and I don't really notice it. I think it's a good way to tax. Like Alberta used to be, I guess we're saying, a place that had all kinds of crazy money and didn't need this. But now it's becoming less, that's becoming less true. Yeah, like a lot of, and the city too, like a lot of the resources are coming in through property tax and stuff like that or the building of new properties. Okay. And Nenshi isn't a fan of that because, you know, people need a place to live, even low income people. So it's not really a progressive tax. Right. So, yeah, I'm fine with it. Me too. I mean, <laughs> it sure is convenient for me not to have a sales tax right now. Yeah. Cause things are cheaper, but you know, it seems as though something has got to give and what's it going to be? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, given that you and I agree on a lot of things like this, that proved to be much less contentious than it would be out on the street, but. Well, you and I aren't unreasonable. We realize that government funding in (laughs) Canada is an important thing. And the way that that happens is through taxation. I like that. Well, you and I are very reasonable people. (laughs) Yes, let's sit around and congratulate one another on our reasonability. Reasonableness. Yes. You too, Rob. Great job. Can we just, let's just 
reach over and give ourselves a pat on the back. Yeah, there we go. Well done, us. <laughs> and on that note, I think we're done for the day. Wonderful. <clears throat> Ooh. Uh, so before we go, I'll just say thanks again to audible.com for helping uh, with our podcast. If you like the show uh, and you like listening to things, feel free to go ahead and go to audiblepodcast.com slash unwind. Uh, from there, you get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, and you help support East Meets West and everything else in Unwind Media. And I will go on record uh, for saying thank you for listening. And go check out Vodka and Equations. We'll put a link to the Canadian politics uh, section of Nick's blog, and then you can go and read all his wonderful predictions and and not because we didn't spoil it they will have to do that if they want to know what you think will happen yeah although if you do have a conspiracy theory about something maybe don't tweet that at me <laughs> totally fair <laughs> you can find out about that one on twitter <laughs>